If you're joining us for the first time, you're coming to the end of our series on parables, the parables specifically in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is just about to go to trial, and then that will result in his passion and crucifixion on our behalf. And so we know that these parables that he's telling are the things that are the most important that he wants his disciples to know. And so Matthew is putting them in this place in the Gospel. The parable that, were, that was just read, which is in my translation, the parable of the bags of gold, that's somewhat of an update of the parable of the talents that you may have been raised with, but it is about essentially a parable of investment. That is the analogy, that's the parable that's being, that's the imagery that's being used here. And it's being used because the Lord Jesus wants his disciples to know how to align their lives when Jesus is no more with them on this earth when he has ascended to the right hand of his father. What is it that is going to be important to them? What is it that's important for them to know about the priorities of how they are to live? And so this is one of the parables that speaks to that reality. So in the parable of the bags of gold, you know that uh, you just heard Cindy read it. There are three servants and a master comes, a Lord who owns the, the money, the talents, and he gives an amount, a different amount to each of them, five to one, two to another, one to a third, and says, I'm going away, I'm entrusting my wealth to you. And the implication of that is you are to do something with it. What specifically are you to do with it? Well, you are to invest it. You are to earn a return. It is not mine. Uh, He says to the stewards, it is not yours, it is mine. You are to use it for my benefit. That is the job that I am assigning to you. And so... Off he goes, and off they go. The next phrase that we hear, the next verb, is immediately. They went, well, at least two of them, went to work investing the talents. Now, bags of gold is probably a better image because they're entrusted with a lot of wealth. There's various ways that you can calculate what a talent is worth. But in today's dollars, we, the, uh, one talent's close to a million bucks. Round it up. So four talents is, excuse me, two is two million and, and five is five. Million. What that's telling us is that the master is entrusting his servants with something that is significantly abundant, something that has great value, and something with great value should get a return on that. And so he entrusts that to them, and off he goes. And we know what they do with it. The one with five invests it, and one and two invests it, and the third one doesn't invest it, but we'll come to him a little bit later. The first thing I think we should notice here is that when it comes to talents, in terms of what God has given us, what God's given us as his disciples in this time and age is an amazing array of abilities, capabilities, experiences, a sense of who he is. These are all aspects of what you could consider talents. So that does include whatever resources we have. It certainly includes the time that he gives us on earth. It includes our aptitudes, our, our, our abilities, the gifts and the graces. But I also think it includes the hardships that we've experienced. Who here hasn't experienced something that you thought, oh, man, I'm not sure how I'm going to get through this without the Lord. And yet the Lord uses that so that he can bless others through what we've experienced as we share how he has sustained us. 
This is all part of what we can offer those. This is all part of what God has given us that we might, you can say, pay it forward, that we might be able to invest it for his kingdom and through our lives live faithfully for him, see a return for his kingdom. What does that return look like? Or it, can, it looks like people that are understanding who Jesus is for the first time. It looks like people who are getting healed where they didn't think healing was possible. It's people that are experiencing breakthroughs at work, people that are experiencing just things, and I mean very practically at work. Some of you know my story. I was in tech for 18 years before God called me and, and Vicki into more of a ministerial function. And I can remember about to go to seminary uh, we weren't sure how we were going to pay for it all. But being on the sales side of things, the sales has some nice upsides, but also some downsides. And we got to the place where there was the whole year and, frankly, the whole seminary came down to one deal. And so I don't, you know, we're praying, my small group's praying, Lord, just help us to get that. If this is the way you want to provide for us, we would ask you to do that. And then as the deal went south instead of north, we said, Lord, we'd ask you to, you know, if this is what you want, please help us. And I got more people praying. And as things still weren't happening, all right, maybe it's time to fast. So we were just continuing to come before the Lord in prayer. Uh, within three days before the end of the fiscal year, you know, some of you know what, what those deadlines are like. But within three days of that, we got the response back for the, from the client and with a whole litany of legal terms and things that they didn't like. And in my experience, that would have been a two-week negotiation. And so we're praying. We're like, Lord, help us. It cleared up overnight. They pulled people out of Christmas parties and things like that to get it done. It was great. And it also allowed us to <laughs> go to seminary and actually pay for it, which was even better. So I'm just, you know, one example of how God will come and allow it in answer to our prayer that we might... Um, when we say, Lord, I want you to use my life however you've designed it, then expect him to provide times of testing and experience, but also then to see him come and give us in abundance. You know, I would say that we don't know the whole array of things that God has given us. The amount of, if you want to call it talent or bags of gold that we've been talking about, we have no idea how deep that is. He can see things in our lives, see, they knows ways that he has made us that we don't know about ourselves, that he knows will be needed in the future. I was thinking of, in thinking about this, I'd seen a documentary recently about one of Serena Williams' tennis coaches, a guy that in the time that she worked with him, uh, coached her successfully to 10 slam finishes. His name is Patrick uh, Murat Toglu. Some of you who play tennis might know him. But he, his, his own story is rather interesting in the sense that he, as a kid, he was painfully shy. He said, I didn't know anybody else that was as shy as I was. The, the, the thought of having a conversation with somebody sent him into just great anxiety inside. So he didn't say anything. He went to school and didn't say anything. His parents sent him to a psychologist for a year. He went every week. And he said, at the end of that year, I said one word. He's a painfully shy guy. But what he said, because he couldn't communicate with his classmates or didn't want to, it was too anxiety-producing, he began to observe how they communicated and how they moved, what they said. He just became an amazing uh, observer of human behavior. And he said that was instrumental in him becoming a good tennis coach. 
He loved the game of tennis, couldn't play it, so he became a coach. And, uh, but his ability to coach people at, at a real adult, or, you know, real A-league level was the ability to see when they were on the court what was going on for them. Their talent was not at issue. Their abilities were not the issue. What was really at issue is like, what's going on in their head? What is it that they need to know about themselves that he could see that they weren't tapping into? Our Heavenly Father is like that when it comes to the things that he's been give, given to us. And he longs to see us move in that direction. He can see where we can't see. He, can, he calls us to those places where we can use more of who we are in him, more of what he's put into us. And so the talents, the guy with the five talents gets it. The person with the second, you know, the other two gets it. And they're putting that immediately in there. The person who doesn't get it is the guy who gets the one talent, the third servant. What does he do? He buries it in the ground. Like, if you had a million bucks, would you put it in the ground? Hopefully not. But he does that. He buries it in the ground. Because why? Because he's afraid. He says, Master, when, you, when the master comes back, he says, why didn't, you, why didn't you invest? And he says, I knew you were a hard person. In other words, you're exacting. You're a judge. I'm afraid of what will happen if I actually fail in this endeavor. I mean, when you're called to invest something, there's risk associated with that, isn't there? You, you know, there's no investment that's a sure thing. If you ever hear there's an investment that's a sure thing, you should not invest in that. <laughs> But investment always requires a bit of risk. There's uncertainty about what will happen in the future. And so this third servant doesn't invest. And you might think, well, that's, at least he returned it. So he didn't lose anything. But the whole point of the parable is he didn't gain anything. The whole point of the parable is he didn't use what the master had given him in the service of the master to get a return for the master. And so this becomes a real lesson for us as as Jesus' followers. We need to be people that are willing to risk the gifts that he's given us. If you have uh, an ability, if just take whatever resources we have. If he's given us financial resources, when you give that to any group, any organization, you're taking a risk to some extent that they will use that well and wisely. When God puts something on your heart about somebody in your life where some opportunity to speak what is truthful and helpful to them would be appropriate, that's risky. Who wants to hear some of the things that God's put on our heart? Not everybody, particularly if it's challenging. It's not easy. You know, you've, and the closer we are to those people, members of our family or friends group, that can be really hard. But that could be part of the risk that God's calling us to. There's an uncertainty as to the outcome. Or is there an uncertainty to the outcome? You see, what looks risky in an investment kind of context, which is what the parable is about, I don't think is as risky as perhaps we think it is. It may jeopardize, uh, you know, it might strain a relationship, it might be challenging and problematic at one level, but from a service to God and a return on what he's given us, I don't think so. Because for followers of Christ, we don't necessarily use the term risk so much as we use the term faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, belief in things not yet seen. Now, I don't know, back to that illustration, whether that deal was going to work out. I trusted that if it didn't, God would have another plan. I didn't know what that is. So don't, this is not health and wealth time. This is specifically just to say we don't know how the Lord will use the gifts and the aspects of our life that we give him in his service. And if he chooses not to necessarily use that in the way that we would like, then we're still going to be okay because he has some other 
way that we can give of ourselves. So we need not be afraid. We need not fear. God will use our faithfulness to, uh, to get a return. That five bags of gold that the first servant earns is because of the grace of God working in that person's life. This is how that, the, the parable works out. And same with the second one. So it's not about our ability, by the way. One guy's given five, the other's given two. Each what? According to his ability. But they both get a great return. Actually, the same return. 100%. Why does all this matter? Why are we talking about this? Because at the end of the parable, where you can encounter a part of the Lord that is a part that we don't really often really want to deal with, which is how he responds the, to the servant who buried his, his one talent, buried his one bag of gold. He rebukes him. And he says, you at least could have put my money on deposit. So then he says, take that bag of gold from him and bring it to the one who has 10 bags. You know, the gospel that Christ has put in us the life that he's given to each one of us, he does expect a return for his kingdom. And if somehow we're not using the resources, the mind, the time, the uh, material blessings in the service, then he's going to want us, <laughs> his Holy Spirit lovingly will come before us and encourage us through parables like this. Because he knows he wants us to, you know, you know why? Not because he's harsh and all that, but because he wants us to experience the joy that the first two servants did. The one who says, Lord, your five bags has returned five more is the one who's excited to see his master come back. Have you ever done something that you're really proud of? You can't wait for somebody to see it. You know, maybe a parent, maybe, you know, your manager. Um, I don't know finally trimmed our trees, our neighbors were happy. You know, maybe your neighbor, something like that going on where you're like, oh, I can't wait that they come home and they see we finally trimmed the tree and there's no berries dropping on their side. Something like that. This is, these guys are excited for the master's return. We know that God gives us the grace to earn a return, so we don't have to be fearful about it. We just have to be faithful about it. But for the one who is left, he says, He says this to him. Um, he casts him out. He said, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We cannot escape the fact that this parable ends with a, a note of judgment. I can't remember the last time I heard a sermon on judgment. And this is not necessarily a sermon on judgment so much as to talk about the fact that judgment is part of this parable. But ju judgment is not, all of us will be judged. But if you know Christ, it is that we are not condemned. Jesus, says, Jesus will say, my blood has covered you because you have given your life to me. But what is what Jesus is instructing us to do, instructing us to know, is that that sense of having you know, repented and been baptized is also accompanied now by a life of following Christ in faithfulness, a life of investing our lives on his behalf and for his kingdom. You cannot have one without the other. Many people have tried. Some, some aspects of the Christian religion historically have emphasized just the good works that you do. Others have emphasized the initial faith that you need to have. But the two have to go together. Looking up one commentator's comment on, on what writing on uh, judgment, he said, when you look at what Jesus said, it suggests that human destinies are not so much rewards and punishments for things posed... Uh, from outside, but they're really the inherent outcome 
of the choices that people make. If we run after other things, what will the reward be? The servant with the one talent buried it. That probably took him all of a day. So what did he do with the other, you know, however many years his master was gone before he came back? The implication is he wasn't living for his master. And so Paul exhorts the Thessalonians in that direction. He says, you are followers of Jesus, so keep living as children of the daylight. You are followers, so keep sober and judgment-minded. There is a sense of the imminent return of Christ that is throughout the Gospels. And we can't stay where we are and say, well, that was 2,000 plus years ago, so I guess he's late. No, he is right on time. And whatever time we have is the opportunity to live and continue to invest for the kingdom of God. And as we do that, I don't think we necessarily need to be overly concerned about being the one, the one talent servant who did nothing. But this is meant to keep us focused on what is right and what is true. And to remember that as we do that, as we say, Lord, I want to be the one with the five talents to serve you faithfully as that servant did, or the one with the two talents to serve you faithfully as that servant did. Help me to do that. Help me to find out. Here's a practical way to apply this, and then I'll just close. In this week ahead, where is it, I'm asking myself this question, where is it that I tend to be afraid of investing for the kingdom? What are the hard things that I may, I suspect that God is nudging me to do, the harder things that I'm resisting? Because I kind of like being where I am. If the earliest apostles resisted, where would we be today? So I think to be giving of ourselves to the Lord and saying, Lord, use me direct me, guide me, and then to anticipate, you know, the, part of the, the hope and the joy of that is, is to the envisioning of the joy of the Lord. When we say, see, this is what your investment in me has earned for the kingdom, it's not boasting, it's more out of a sense of privilege, but then allowing the Lord to do with that whatever he wishes on that day. We don't know necessarily all what that means when Jesus says, for whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance, variety of opinions that go with that. All I want to know is that I would love to be able to hear him say that. I'd love to stand before the Lord with just first an amazing thanksgiving that I was even able to, to, to be here. You know, to be in the holiness of the Lord would be, I think, first very scary and then secondly, to, to know that he you know, lifts us up and says, my son, you know, the father says, my son has covered it. And then for him to say, and now look at what you've done with the grace that I've given you. Look at the faithfulness, not necessarily perfect, but heading in the right direction. Look at the way that you responded to the things I built into your life for the glory of the kingdom and for the blessing of many. Amen. Amen. 